Welcome to the Gateway Research Organization podcast. Research and extension led by farmers for farmers. Come grow with us. Okay, everybody, thank you very much for coming. So we are basically setting this up as a networking session. Uh, a lot of the conferences and things that I've already attended or spoken at this year, they seem so impersonal because I never see who's on the other end. I'm talking into a, a camera that I don't see anybody. And then there's hardly any questions. So we're, we've set this up just to do the networking because I know from all the schools and seminars and conferences I've attended in the last 20 years, half of my education came from the networking, right? Talking to other people. And that's so important. And this winter, we're gonna miss that. So we've started this up. We're gonna do every Wednesday night. It'll be a different topic, uh, a different speaker. And I, I, I'm gonna warn you, we got some powerhouse speakers coming up in January. I might uh, drop some names later on, but I'm very impressed at who we got coming in January. So um, excited uh, to have you all with us tonight. Uh, tonight's topic is gonna be bale grazing. Um, I've been bale grazing since uh, I think 1999. Um, tried it a lot of different ways, done a lot of different things. So uh, I've been teaching about it for a long time. And we also have uh, uh, Aaron here tonight. He's going to uh, have a little bit different of a style of bale grazing, but same concepts, same, same ideas. And uh, we'll just have a Q&A session uh, talking about that. Uh, we do have a few sponsors. So um, we've got to give them a little bit of acknowledgement here. We're, we're going to make sure that we don't, you know, spend too much time on sponsors here over the winter. But uh, uh, the Gateway Research Organization is, is sponsoring us. Um, I guess Greener Pastures is sponsoring this because we're hosting it. Um, and uh, we got young agrarians here. Uh, Dana Pendrice is from Young Agrarians. She's going to host it. Um, I tried hosting this last, last week, and it's way too complicated for me to be a speaker and a host. So thank you very much to Dana for uh, helping us out here tonight. Aaron, you want to just tell a little bit about yourself? or Sure. Might yeah. as well. Thanks for having me. Um, kind of honored that Steve asked me to join him on this uh, webinar. So my name is Aaron Nervous, and I farm uh, near Shellmouth, Manitoba, which is kind of smack dab in the middle of the continent of North America. So we're right in the middle of the Canadian prairies, about uh, two and a half hours north of the U.S. border. And so we ranch here with my brother and my dad and my mom. Uh, my mom's the bookkeeper. And um, so we have uh, a cow-calf operation primarily, about 600 head, and we also sell uh, breeding stock through replacement females and and bulls as well. So um, we're a perennial based operation. We don't crop anything. And so our operation is 100% uh, grazing or haying, although recently we've been buying most of our hay um, and grazing almost 100% now. And so that's kind of what we do. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Um, so just a little bit of a, about the videos. First one was just our little video. Uh, my wife's gotten into uh, making videos, so I'm more bragging about her than I am about me in that one. Uh, she did a fantastic job. Um, the Gateway Research Organization, that's one of the applied research associations across uh, Alberta here. And I've been a big uh, believer in those for a long, long time. I've been with uh, Grow for on and off 20 years. And I just think the value that we get from that unbiased research is very important. So um, yeah, def definitely a, a, a big 
important part of my education over the last 20 years. They're the ones that bring us the conferences and the seminars and the big speakers. So uh, very grateful to organizations like Grow. Other provinces have them too, a little different, um, but uh, those nonprofit organizations I think are, are very important. And uh, Young Agrarians, um, another great program. You guys definitely uh, um, do a great job at helping, helping young people out there. So um, nice video too. I like that. I, I recognize a lot of those faces. So that's good. Okay, so that's it. We're going to get right into bale grazing now. Um, we're not doing any presentations. We're not showing any pictures. Uh, we will give some links in the chat if you guys want to be looking at things while we're talking. But like I said, this is a networking session. We're going to try and keep it to Q&A. And uh, so basically bale grazing to me, there's uh, only a couple reasons why I bale graze. Number one is economics, right? If I can lower my labor and equipment cost, that's my goal, right? I'm trying to feed cheaper. Years ago, I learned uh, in a, you know, in uh, economics that uh, there's a variable cost and a fixed cost. And the hay was always a variable cost and your tractor and your, you know, buildings and everything else is always a fixed cost. And that totally didn't make sense to me because when I could come out, um, my, my hay price, I can't control. It goes up and down with market values. I have no control over that but I have control over how I feed and how high my yardage goes. So that's the variable cost, right? I think they were teaching it backwards because I have control over that yardage cost. So my goal is to try and get my yardage as low as possible, which yardage is the labor and equipment used in feeding. It's not the price of the feed. Um, and a lot of people complain about a waste of feed. The bonus I get out of this, you know, on top of that, it, you know, I've fed really cheap. I get a whole bunch of water holding capacity and nutrients added to my land. So for years, I've had a, a value of 30 cents per head per day every day that I'm feeding an animal on my land with imported feed. I've got a value of 30 cents. That's free fertility. Uh, and the biggest part of that for me is water holding capacity. Because if you don't have water, you got nothing. And uh, I've been through, well, in our area here, we've had seven droughts in the last 11 years. So um, water is pretty important to us here, uh, as well as, you know, most places. So the bale grazing really has a huge impact on my place for water holding capacity more than anything. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Aaron. You, you can give your little two bits about what you do as a bale grazing, and then we'll get into Q&A. Yeah, well, our reasons are pretty very much similar to yours as well. I guess when we first started, um, it would have been in the early 2000s, um, just, you know, playing around with trying it. Uh, we took a holistic management course, I believe in 2005 or 2004, and um, just started trying bale grazing. Um, I think the, the initial reason was really cost of production to lower it and economics and labor, that's what was driving it for us. Um, since then, some of the practices that we've done, um, there's a lot more like collateral benefit to bale grazing. Um, obviously the, the benefit to the soil and the grass production and the water holding capacity and the fertility, the organic matter, all of that, the benefits, I mean, it's, it's like rejuvenating your land and building more soil. Um, I guess another benefit for us now is just it really uh, meshes with our management style. So um, we're part of our uh, mantra, I guess, is just, uh, we believe that 
people in general do too much for the cow and we want the cow to do as much as she can on her own and so we let her express herself and part of that is eating and grazing in the winter time and you know anytime you can take out the, the mechanization part of the feed components and don't you know remove iron from between the cow cow's mouth and her feed you're saving money so those were all kind of drivers for us um and in terms of like i guess we we did start bale grazing you know doing like three-day moves with a hot wire at the time we were also toying with some later weaning so we had the calves on the cows um ran into a lot of trouble with wire issues and calves going across and then cows dragging down the wire even though we had our safety wire up and that led us to just trying to um experiment with a longer period of bale grazing and so we went to seven days and then to 10 days and then from 10 we just we decided to try 21 days or three weeks and uh, we find that that's kind of a real sweet spot for us um i mean so we we get everything set up in summer the bales go directly to the field we're not handling them you know back to the yard and then out to the field they go directly to the field we set them up in 21 day pods. And when we, we always just move the cows from one pod to the next, we're never moving a wire now. And um, so everything's set up, twines are removed in October. And then once we decide to start bale grazing, we're, we're done pretty much. We don't start a tractor for our, for our dry cows. Now we have some other management groups that we, we do some different things, but for our cows, we don't start a tractor all winter. We don't have a hot wire. We do have some cross fencing. So these pods are kind of, you know, quarter mile, half mile apart from each other. Um, we're done. So it's kind of nice that, you know, for a four month period or 120 day period, that's our, our bale grazing uh, window that we have no yardage after that. And we have no manure removal out of the corrals. It's just, uh, it's a really good system for us. It, it just works with our management style. Excellent. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, we, we've done a couple different ways. One, I've, you know, put all the bales out in the fall, and then I use a strip graze fence to move down the field, you know, giving them so many days at a time. Or similar to Aaron's style, uh, if I've got a neighbor who will deliver feed for me, um, I'll get them to deliver, um, you know, one load in each paddock. So I've already got, you know, let's say I've got five or six summer grazing paddocks built and designed. Uh, he'll just come along and put one load in this paddock and one load in that paddock and one load in that paddock and so on. And then I just got to pull the twine off and then I open gates, just like it's summer grazing. I just open gates into the bales. And when I get done, then he can, uh, I'll just phone him up and say, okay, you can fill them all up again. And he'll come and put another load in each paddock, but he'll put them a little bit further. So he'll just move it another, you know, 30, 30 feet down and, and put another row up. So all winter long, we just, he just delivers them and brings them. I'll pay him to deliver instead of a trucker. Now, obviously that way you have to have a, uh, you know, buy pay from a neighbor who's fairly close and is willing to do that. But usually they're pretty happy to do that because they get an extra, you know, five bucks a bale for delivery. So uh, yeah, I've uh, really liked that. Then I, I don't, I don't even touch a bale. Right? My equipment never touches a bale. I've had my yardage rate less than five cents per head per day that way. Um, I think the average yardage rate in Alberta, um, it's up and down every year, but it's around 70 cents per head per day. And I'm, I'm usually, you know, at least under 10 cents and, you know, some years under five cents. So Dana, if you want to start throwing questions out at us here, that would be great. 
Yeah, there's a question. I'm not sure who it's from. They're just on, it says iPhone, but they're curious about how you work the day to day. So how many bill per cow per acre and for how long? Okay, Aaron, you want to give that a shot? Sure. Um, so our pods are like how we estimate our budget hay is we just basically get our cow average weight and say it's 1300 pounds or whatever that might be times it by 0.03 or 3% of body weight. And then as fed hay, we use that number. So if it's say 37, 38 pounds of hay, and then just figure out how many bales you need for a 21 day period based on your number of cows. So it's, it's pretty simple. Um, now how uh, our pods roughly are, I think in the, about 380 bales uh, for about 550 to 600 cows. So um, there's not a bale for every cow, but you know, pretty close. And I, I, I'll touch on just one of our, I, I guess our, one of our biggest advantages on a 21 day pod is that the, the competition factor. And that's how we got to our sweet spot of 21. We were just pushing, okay, how, how long can we go? Um, and we, we found that when we went from 10 to 20, there was, there's virtually no competition between cows. Like your, your older, weaker cows or your younger animals, um, everyone has feet in front of them at all times. So you're, you, you're never pulling skinny cows. It just levels out the body condition score of your entire herd. So that 21 day period is kind of our sweet spot of, you know, uh, mitigating waste while um, reducing competition, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, my, mine's a little bit different. I usually do a four or a, day, uh, four or a five day grace period. Um, same thing, everybody has bunk space at the beginning, right? For the first three, three and a half days, everybody has lots of feed. Um, on that, uh, you know, the last day, everybody's cleaning up. So everybody gets shortchanged on the last day. Um, but uh, same idea, you've got to give enough bunk space. You can't bail graze two days at a time. Right. That doesn't work because you end up with skinny. So you got to put out enough there. Yeah. And it's a nice balance, I think, between waste and and uh, your animals, you know, not getting the skinnies, like Aaron said. But uh, yeah, it it depends on the one issue I've had is if I'm any longer than four or five days, um, let's say we're uh, um, Aaron, you can. Uh, oh, but if I've put out a week's worth of feed, um, Picture those bales at the beginning, they're all standing up good. They knock them around, but they, they're, they're still pretty good. Uh, let's say day six comes along and you get a big snowstorm, right? The, everything's flat. And then all of a sudden you got that snow on top. And then now I've lost two days worth of feed because they, it snows on top of that. Um, what do you do in that case? So if you do a 21 day pod um, at, uh, you know, day 19, what happens if you get a snowstorm? Honestly, like, uh, it has happened, but, but not a huge snow event. We have got some snow, like, you know, two, three inches in that last little bit. We've never had a massive dump in the last, you know, say two, three days, kind of in the cleanup phase. Okay. Um, but, you know, our, our cows are pretty resilient and they know the drill. And, and, you know, honestly, they just, like at the end, say there's no snow, they really just basically roll turds around and sift through it and find crumbs of hay. And they'll do the same thing if there's snow there as well. It just, it'll, they'll have to work a little harder, but they can do it if we, if we let them, you know, and then you got to be pretty uh, stringent with, you know, you're making them clean up. I mean, that's, that's key. And I, I will say like on a, on a, on a 21 day period, the caveat for that is that 
yeah, if you're trying to utilize multiple types of feed or poor types of feed, I, I would not recommend doing 21 day moves. I would shorten that up because if you, if they have different types of feeds, cows will go in there and cherry pick what oh, they yeah. prefer totally. Yeah. And if you, and, and I will say, if you're trying to utilize straw and or green feed and or grassy type strandy hay, shorten your period up. Don't do 21 days because they, you know, they, they poof the bale, right? It just, it pops, it blows up. They lay on it. We, we try and use grass alfalfa hay as much as we can in a 50-50 mix. We will mix in green feed just because we can't always source hay at the right price, but we kind of have a rule no more than 25% in terms of composition of a pod for green feed. But grass hay, it, it, you know, we like to see that apple core effect where they just basically start you know, in the middle of the bale and then an apple cores and the top falls down. You never have that poof effect. And, yeah. and it just works wonderful. Yeah. So. There's a question here from Russell Taylor. Russell, I don't know if you wanna come off of mute and then talk a little bit about what you're asking here about kind of different types of feed. He might've jumped away. I'm not sure exactly what the question was. So maybe we'll just move on to another one. Um, I think he's saying hay is hard to source. So if it's if it's whether it's a, an issue of supply and or price, how do you how do you manage that? I think that's the question. And I, like for in my perspective there, we are fortunate here that we we can source hay. Um, and we've been dealing with a couple guys that are that we buy substantial quantities from every year. And we've got a pretty good arrangement, nothing in writing. But um, yeah, it, it, if you can't source hay, it, it makes it a, a lot more difficult for sure. You want to go ahead, Steve? Uh, I don't see the question. So yeah, I mean, you've, you've got to be able to find the hay at a, you know, at a reasonable rate. Um, this will change if you, you know, if your hay goes to 15 cents a pound, right? Yeah, you might have to adjust something a little bit. But if it drops to, you know, three and a half cents a pound, boy, this this works really well. So somewhere in between there, there is a tipping point and everybody's farm's different. Every, every location will be different. There's a tipping point on that, how much feed gets you know, the, the cost of feed versus how much ends up on the ground versus how much labor and equipment you put into it. Okay. So let's say that I used that number before of 70 cents per head per day is the average Alberta yardage rate. Okay. If I can bale graze for 10 cents, uh, 10 cents a, a day is yardage. I've got 60 cents leeway in there. I can weigh 60 cents of feed on the ground every day per cow, and I'm still better off. Okay, than, than feeding every day of, if that was the traditional number. Um, now, that being said, I don't think it's waste because it goes into water holding capacity and nu nutrients added to your soil. But um, so every farm is going to be different. You guys have to do your own numbers. Um, the price of hay is going to change from one environment to another. Um, your yardage, how you feed is going to change from one environment to another. It comes down to the economics. That's the number one thing that you know, drives what I do on my operation. Can I ask you a question, Steve? Sure. Okay. How do you react when someone says, well, the, the price of hay is going too, it's too high and I can't afford to waste anymore. And it's, it's too high to bale graze. I, I can't bale graze because hay is too high, but yet they will feed hay in other ways. What, how do you, what's your answer to that? Well, it's similar to what I just said. It how much are you willing to spend on fuel and equipment and labor? Okay. If, if, if it goes up, if, if the hay goes up by five cents, but when I switch and try and save on my feed waste, but 
it ends, ends up costing me another 50 cents to feed in yardage costs, right? Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> it, I'm no better off. In my opinion, <clears throat> if hay gets too high, it's too, it's too expensive to feed, period. Bale grazing yeah. is just your chosen method of feeding it. Yeah. So, you know, that's my opinion. Do it a different way. Swath graze. Like on years when uh, hay's expensive, probably we had a bad year. And that's the year I go looking to some of my neighbor grain farmers and I can get a swath grazing field that, you know, it was a fail or, you know, something didn't work out. So yeah, you look for a different type of feed. One year I grazed uh, a big silage pile of a neighbor, right? Because hay was too expensive. So yeah, you look for plan B and then plan C and maybe plan Q some years. Yeah. <laughs> Great guys. There's a question here from Hanks about weather. Um, Hanks, do you want to come off mute and ask your question? Yeah, sure. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Yeah, just uh, down here in Ontario in the Golden Horseshoe, um, we haven't. We just froze up yesterday. Got minus three, minus four last night, and it's minus five right now. So that's the first time, really, it's been the coldest day since February this year. Um, in the past, we usually bale graze when we wean the cows. We'll keep the calves in the yard so the cows can come up and get water and you know commingle with the calves on the other side of the fence, and then they bale graze. But then it starts getting muddy, and I find not only do they punch a lot of hay into the ground, but um, you basically run out of hay real quick, and then it starts raining, and everything just becomes just a mess. It's soup, and I don't know. Like um, we pushed through it the one year, we had lots of hay, so it kind of worked out great. But we found, and that's the biggest thing: the yardage cost. I just, you know, once you start a tractor, you know, you're burning fuel, and it's costing money, and you're doing wear and tear. I just wonder if there's other people out there that are, you know, bale grazing and it's not like we've had years where it's just been awesome where it's freeze, it freezes and we don't get a whole lot of snow. We might get a foot of snow some winters. Um, so, I mean, we've had it the other way too, where you put your strand wire fence across and it's barely above the snow, but the cows are respecting it. So just, I don't know what other people are doing. Like I seem to make it, you know, to the uh, middle of November, December, some years, some years we're still pasturing at that time. So it's kind of, you set it up and some years they don't even use it till, you know, the spring or February, March. So I don't know. Okay. What would you find? Like, you know, I'm trying to set something up more consistent. Yeah. The one thing that I always say, I mean, yes, if it's, if it gets really wet, this is, you know, they can punch out some land pretty, pretty quick. I've had a few years where all of a sudden we get warm spells. Uh, three or four years ago, we had, uh, instead of two weeks of spring breakup, we had two months of spring breakup. So I, I, I feel for you. I punched out four or five paddocks. We beat it up pretty bad. Um, what I say to people is you don't have to do this all winter. Okay. What's your alternative? If you're, you know, feeding, you got a sacrifice paddock somewhere where you would normally feed your cattle. Um, you still have a sacrifice paddock. Okay? when the ground gets soft, you move them into that. And that's where you feed them or you, you know, traditionally you get through that. But when the ground is frozen, well, then you move them back out and you bale graze them. Um, we don't have to do the same thing all winter long, right? We can plan for more than one way of doing this. Uh, I mean, when I'm swath grazing, I got a field of, uh, you know, some bales over here for the really, really cold weather that I'm going to go bale graze during that really cold weather and not make them dig so much. So um, we don't, once we get set on one thing, we don't have to stick with it the whole winter. You can go back and forth. So that's my argument for that one, I guess, is um, when it's muddy, don't, don't be out there. You know, do do something else, have a sacrifice paddock. So um, I think that is kind of what you were asking. Uh, Aaron, you want to add to that? No, I, I agree with you. Just keep flexible and like, I guess, watch the forecast as much as you can. Um, 
do shorter moves, pick high areas if you can. I mean, that's all you can really do. I mean, I think Steve will admit that the Canadian Prairies is like the ultimate place to bail grace. It is in a, a deep freeze from December 1st to March 30th. There's four months there where we really don't have any freezing and thawing. It's well, at least where I am, like it's, you, you just don't get it. And like, I mean, a cow shits and that turd is frozen almost immediately. And so it doesn't really get mashed into the hay. I mean, we, you know, we don't have mud, but we also have the benefit of not having, you know, the, 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 the feces freezing right away. And even the urine freezes right away. So it's, it's, it's highly beneficial. And we're, we're, we're very fortunate to be able to, to do it here. It's, it's the perfect place to bail graze really. I love telling people Thanks, that our, I love yeah, telling no people that our advantage is that we have uh, only a four and a half month growing season. That's our advantage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is it is in a sense for certain yeah. things yeah 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 i'm still I, putting electric fence posts in by hand though right now yeah our yeah, ground's not frozen you know, our winter advantage too and this is not related to bill grazing but i mean you know that's the when it freezes hard i mean that's the, that's our combine right i mean if you're if your forage is in a vegetative state it locks in that nutrition where if you if you're not in a place where it does that you don't have that advantage so it's it's not the worst place to live, even though the winters can be harsh. <laughs> uh, Clayton's got some, a question here about um, spacing. Clayton, do you want to ask your question? Just come off mute. Sure. Yeah, I was just wondering about um, the spacing of the bales in your bale pods, and if you prefer to lay them or have them upright or laid flat. Our spacing is probably a lot closer than the average person uh, or operation. I think if you kind of look at extension publications, they recommend 30 to 50 feet between bales. I think it's kind of a standard rule. Um, we're pretty much going, you know, 20 to 25 on center. And, and so we played around with that. The, the land that we're bale grazing on is pretty, pretty poor, non-fertile, low organic matter, uh, lighter ground. And we want as much impact as we can. Um, when we used to space them a little farther apart, we basically get, you, you could see ring grid work, right? I mean, you could see the rings. And then a couple of years later, when the grass was flourishing, where the bale graze was, you'd have these areas where, you know, there was no bale graze residue. And we just decided that we wanted to, to cover the bale graze almost completely. So we don't have those rings and, and the, the mist spots. And then we never want to come back to that same place twice. So it's, it's bale grazed. There's a lot of residue there. Uh, it's got to decompose, but we never want to come back to it. So that's, that's kind of our goal personally. So. Yeah. My spacing kind of depends on which method I'm, I'm using. If I'm going to be putting them all out there and then I'm moving a strip graze fence through them. Uh, I set it up uh, similar to Aaron. I do about 25 feet, 20 to 30 feet spacing between them, but I'll do double that between the rows. Okay. So because I'm going to run an electric fence down between these bales, I don't want it crowded. Um, so I double the space, which basically leaves a big gap. And then I come back the second year and bale grades the same paddock, but then I fill in the gap. So I'll actually put every second row in on year one and then come back on year two and then fill in the gaps. So I can do the same, same field two years in a row. Uh, just, I have less headache with the fence getting knocked over and, you know, cows getting pushed through it. And, but 
I found that 30, you know, 30 foot spacing gives a nice coverage. Um, basically every bale circle when they're done is kind of touching and we get a really good uh, coverage of, uh, of, for water holding capacity across that whole base. We, we always lay them flat personally. We just feel that the utilization's better. We, we also take all our twines off prior to freeze up, like everything. And so then, you know, they, they, don't, they won't go just, you know, they won't explode kind of thing. And, and they just stay together better before the cows get there. And then they'll also shed rain as well. So we personally like to do it that way. Yeah, and I'll, if I'm setting them out for the, in the fall, they'll be on their side and I'll take all the net wrapping and twine off. If I'm, my neighbor's bringing them over and setting them out during the winter, then I'll get them to put them on end. And that way I can take the frozen twine or the frozen net wrapping off easier if they're on end. Uh, but if you're putting them on end, be careful in the spring, if they're still sitting out there and that snow starts to melt into them, then you'll, you'll get a lot of wastage just from the uh, early in the spring when everything's warming up. Great. Um, Cassidy reader has a question. Cassidy, do you want to come off of mute? You can turn your video on too, if you want, as oh. you answer a question. No. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to see if there's any uh, difference between having the bales out in the field and then the wastage that can occur from wildlife like deer or elk getting to them compared to in a stack yard. Aaron, you want to tackle that one first? So we don't have elk here. That's a big benefit. They're not that far away. Riding Mountain Park National Park is about um, 15 miles to the east of us. But right here, we, we, we don't have elk. They just don't come here. Uh, maybe it's just we don't have the, t the, the trees or the timber that they like. But we're, we're fortunate that way. Um, deer, they're not really an issue. I mean, we have lots of deer. Um, I mean, we have a lot of stockpiled grass around the bales too. And, you know, they, they'll actually forage um, through that. Um, they do a little bit of damage to the bales, but it's really, it's not significant to be honest. I figured out how to deal with the white tailed deer and the mule deer here. Um, I basically just have to have lower quality hay in my bale grazing field than my neighbor has in their yard. Because <laughs> then the deer are all in his, his yard eating the second cut alfalfa. So as long as I don't buy real top quality hay out there, I don't usually have a problem. Thereafter, the protein, they like the legume. Um, if, if I'm getting lower quality feed, right, rained on once or maybe not quite as much alfalfa in it, I can always supplement, right? I can go out and unroll a, on day five, I can unroll a good alfalfa bale or something just to boost it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, as long as I don't put real high quality feed out there, I've, I haven't had a problem. One, one thing like, it might be a little different where we're bale grazing now, but where we were previous to this winter, where we were for 10 years, we had overseeded a bunch of Sicer milk vetch in that section of land. And it, it took a while to get going, but it, there was quite a bit of it there. And deer love Sicer in winter. They will dig through the snow. Sicer doesn't uh, lose its leaves and stays, uh, must yeah. stay high in protein. They love it. So it's kind of, kind of a uh, unintentional deer bait program we had there, but <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, Jesse's got a question. Jesse, do you want to come off, off your mute and put on your video? Hey guys. Uh, just was curious, um, I guess what the difference in maybe your number of bales you'd feed in the pod versus if you're doing it daily, 
um, like, is it a 10% more that you're going through or is it, can you have a comparison like that? Basically, I think for me, I, uh, I'm still budgeting on so much per head per day. Okay. So if we're, we're budgeting for 32 pounds or 35 pounds or whatever you're, you're planning for, that's how much I plan. And on day five, if they're out, they, they scrounge and they clean up. Right. So I, I don't change the, the amount of hay I'm given. I'm, I might be, you know, maybe planning for 10% loss. Um, but yeah, um, they don't get any more because they ate it faster. Um, the only time I'll move them sooner, which means they're going to get more feed is if the weather drops, right? Because if all of a sudden it drops to minus 35, they need more ration. So then I might move them a day earlier and all that does is bump up their ration so that they eat a little more. But, um, the, go ahead, opposite, Aaron. the opposite works too. If it's mild, it'll be extended a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that it may be hard to believe, but we do the same thing. We budget, uh, you know, what they need to eat. And they, on, as long as your feed is not too good, they will self-regulate and they will not eat really any more than if you were feeding them on a three-day move or a five-day move or a seven-day move. But you, they just don't, they, they just self-regulate. And it's, it's, I know it's hard to believe, but it's, it, it's true. Yeah, they end up cleaning up on the last day. They don't get enough, right? They don't get enough on the last day. Uh, oh. But the next day, they're going to gorge themselves. So they do fine. Yeah. Just as a, has anyone ever done big bale grazing with uh, large numbers of horses versus cattle? Ooh, I, I, I can't comment on that personally. Maybe Steve might know. One winter, we had 100 horses that we custom grazed. Um, we had 65 in one group and 35 or something in the other group. And we basically, we didn't have it pre-set up. So I was bale grazing by basically feeding, you know, five or six days worth of feed at a time. Um, the one thing I remember about that year is it was scary because when I put bales out there and then I went out to pull twine and, you know, one horse would kick a rock and the other one would spook and then the next one would spook. And all of a sudden you got 65 horses racing by you. Um, they were hard on fences too, right? You you have a gate open that there used to be an open and all of a sudden you close it and they blow right through it, right? Like it was just that many horses was kind of kind of crazy for me. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got like 200 head of uh, rodeo horses. We stock contractors. And so it's, yeah, just looking for some different ideas. So thanks. Yeah, they could be done, but make sure they know where the fences are and where the gates are. <laughs> yeah. Just just one more comment on, on the... Like how much will they eat? Like with, in our style with 21 days, I think it, it has to do with the competition. Like, you know, if a cow sees another cow right beside it and, and they're, you know, they're both trying to eat the same thing, they will eat more. But if they always have feed in front of them at all times, they just, they're not compelled to try and eat more. They're, they're just content. They're happy and they self-regulate. And it's, it's something to see. And it's a beautiful thing. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for the question, Jesse. Um, Samuel Turcott, do you have a question? And you can turn off your mute and turn on your video. Hi, I just I was just wondering, like I seen a guy one day uh, in my old life when I was a salesman and that old man was doing like bell grazing, but he was doing like he was just placing his bell like he was eating during uh, the, the summertime and he was just placing his bell in the field, like in some spot on area. And uh, 
he wasn't putting like any uh, twine on his bells. But I wonder like if it's a thing that you ever try and if it worked good or not really. Or probably like in the prairies, you won't do that that as much because you get too much wind. But I was just wondering if there's any guys who ever use that kind of technique. So I, I know for sure there's one fellow on here that does that all the time. Um, I believe uh, Colin Toner has done that quite a few times. If you want a private message, I think it's under Pat Toner on here. I'm going to put him under the bus on that one. Um, basically, he, you're just making hay in the field and, and not putting twine on it. Um, I've never done it personally because I don't make any hay, but uh, I know there's guys on here that have done that. So, Aaron, have you done that? No, we haven't. And any of our any of our hayland is is quite good land, and we, I mean, the goal of bale grazing for us is to improve our poor lands. So transport that feed or nutrients to where the land that needs it the most for improvement. And so, we no, we haven't tried it. Thanks, Samuel. Um, there is a question about different kinds of twine here from Greg Van Leuven. Greg, do you want to come on? Maybe I'll just ask a question for him. Uh, you guys already ans answered about kind of replacing your bales on the flat end or the round end. Um, but do you guys have any preference in terms of type of twine that you're using? Have you tried different kinds, sisal, plastic? Yeah, I think everybody's going to say sisal's the best. But uh, I mean, if I can get sisal, I, uh, you know, that's, that's my, uh, my dream. But it's really hard to convince the hay guys to use sisal. Uh, one, it's thicker. So a ball or a bale of twine that you put in your baler isn't as long. So they have to get out of their tractor and change the bale more often. So they don't like that. It doesn't feed through the new balers as good. You've got somebody with an old baler, it feeds better. But yeah, everybody wants net wrap. They stop, wraps twice and then the bale gets kicked out whereas with the twine it takes a lot longer so yeah really hard to find sizal twine now unless you're making them yourself it's uh pretty tough to find but yeah i'd love sizal twine i just cut that's cut them and then leave them i don't even pull them off because as soon as the cows get on there that top layer of the hay bale will flop over and it ends up right underneath that bit that flopped and the next spring it, it's all rot, rotted away and you don't even find it Aaron? Yeah, I'd agree with you. Like we're buying our hay now and the guys that we buy from, I mean, we've talked to them about size before, but um, I, I just, I don't think they're really interested. And so <laughs> we, we just leave it at that. And we're just, we're glad that we can keep buying hay from them. That's yeah. pretty much the bottom line. But I mean, yeah, I mean, if you could, sisal is the best. I mean, if you can put a bale there and then not worry about the twine, I mean, that's the ultimate. Yeah. They need to make a sizal twine that's full of vitamins and minerals and then just let them go. <laughs> Great. Thanks for the question, Greg. Um, next person with the question is Grant. Grant, do you want to come off of mute and turn on your video? Okay. Hi. Good evening. I got to find my question because I, I shotgunned you with about three questions. <laughs> I think my first question was, do you end up pulling, Aaron said something about, we run different management groups um, and Aaron runs some uh, older cows. Do you end up pulling skinnies? I think partway through the, through the winter was my first question. No, we used to, when we were on like three and five and up to seven day moves, that that would happen for just from a competition standpoint. But now 
we winter everything together that's uh, over a year, like female wise that are dry, anything mm -hmm. that's over a year. And we have some cows that are 16 years old and we almost never pull a skinny now just, just because of the competitive factor on 21 day move. Yeah. That's, that's a big benefit. Steve, have you found anything different? I know you run a bunch of different herds through the winter. Usually I just have one herd and everybody's together. The only time I'll pull them separate is if I've got a group of, you know, heifers or something that um, I might bale graze them a little bit different. Um, I might put some supplement with them. What I've found is if you're bale grazing with cows, you can make them clean up, right? As long as you got a good control of your electric fence, or if that's the issue, you can make them clean up and you can push them pretty hard. As soon as you get younger stock and you're trying to bale graze them, if you try and make them clean up, well, then they're not going to be gaining on those last, you know, the last day or two. So if I supplement on the last day or two, kind of give them a little bit extra higher quality feed and then make them clean up, then we can keep the gains up. But if you're not going to supplement, well, either you, you know, you have more waste or they're not gaining. So um, younger stock, I would keep separate because I'm going to manage them a little bit differently, right? I could supplement with a pellet or some higher quality, you know, high, high legume uh, bales as well. I could supplement on the last day, give them a little bit more. Um, but yeah, that's what I've done in the past. Okay. I think my next question was, I do some custom haying. And the reason I, I get some of the fields is that the weather patterns are bad. And so we got to get it off quick. And that means we got to wrap it. And right now it's my first year doing it doing it this way and i got a feed with so far i've only fed with a bale processor and it's not awesome <laughs> i'd rather be bale, i'd rather be bale grazing it and i just i i have either of you had any experience with unwrapping wet bales uh taking them out setting them up you know in in a week or two week moves any experience with the high moisture I haven't. Uh, the few times I've used, um, you know, haylage bales, it's it's a lot of work. I got to pull plastic and twine. Uh, um, so yeah, I've never even, you know, tried to do that. But in a wetter area, I understand putting up that feed is a concern. So um, there might be someone on here that has done it. And if anybody wants to uh, private message Grant, go right ahead if you've done that. Aaron? Yeah, I, I don't. I, we've never done it. And I, I don't really know of anybody that has, to be honest. Um, so, sorry. <laughs> yeah. There'll be someone on here that's done it, though. Um, hopefully, they'll message you, Grant. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. All right. Thanks, Grant. Um, next question is from, I don't think it's Pat Toner, but it's, what did you say before? <laughs> Colin Toner. Paul. A Colin. Colin. Yeah. Sorry. Colin, you have a question for Aaron? You guys hear me, Steve? You betcha. Yep. All right. So my question was, is when do you start bale grazing and stop there, Aaron? And then how many acres do you cover? And then for the people that are talking about bale grazing sheep in five to six feet of snow, when we bale graze cows and not much snow, we end up with a hay well. And uh, it usually ends up being a problem. So you guys go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So we, I guess our budget or our forecast, we, we wean the first week of December or the last week of November, just depends on the year. 
And as soon as the calves are weaned, our goal is to get the cows straight to the bale graze and then they're there for the winter. This year with the mild weather, um, they just went on this two days ago. So we extended it a little bit this year, but generally kind of December 5th-ish and then all the way till March 30th or just into the first week of April. That's, and we budget 120 days. That's pretty much standard every year. We think we can maybe shorten that up a little bit, maybe go to hundred days in, um, in time, but we'll see where that goes. And as far as the snow goes, yeah, like those snow wells can be an issue. Um, the last few years, like I'm, I don't, I don't remember the last cow we lost um, due to that, like just, you know, a tipping issue where she couldn't get back up probably been four years, but we've had, we haven't had the snow. Um, there were some years when there was high snow that I think we lost three to four animals um, in one winter. Um, but still, I guess on 600 cows, that's not, it's not a high percentage, but yeah, you don't want to lose cows. And, and that's, that's an issue. Too much snow is never an issue for the cows to, to bale graze. They can always dig out the bales. They'll, they'll find the hay, but, but yeah, the, the snow wells is, is a problem. The closer you are to calving, that's more of a concern too, right? So if you're calving yeah, in yeah. May and June, probably not that much of an issue in January and February. Um, but if you're calving March and you're bale grazing in January, yeah, you might have some more issues with that. The, you know, heavier, bigger, fatter cows. And especially if you've got lack of energy in the feed, I've had uh, casting a few times and it's because the feed quality has been too low. Um, they just don't have the energy to, to be able to get up. So um, definitely a concern. Right on. Thanks guys. Thanks Colin. Thanks Colin. All right. Next question is over to Brett McCray. Brett, do you want to turn your video on and your mute unmute? Hey guys. Hey. How's it going? So I'm sure you guys read the Jim Garrish article in the Stockman Grass Farmer, um, I think it's last month's uh, article or issue. He was talking about the concentration of nutrients with bale grazing. What's your guys' take on that? I'm not sure if you've read the article or not, but what's your take on um, having nutrients concentrated with bale grazing? And is this an issue? What can we do to manage it? Go ahead, Aaron. I haven't seen the article, although I, we always get the stock on grass farmer really late and I saw it laying on the desk. So I know, I know we have it. I'll check that out tomorrow. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it, I mean, it's a concern. Um, like no is perfect for sure. Um, with bale grazing, that is something that, you know, could be significant and, uh, you know, how big of a problem is it? Um, you know, are we legit, you know, or, and what's the, what's the, what's the reason for the problem? Are we worried about just, you know, the waste of the nitrogen and, or the fertility that come from the bale that we're not, you know, going to be able to utilize, or is it, you know, the leaching into the groundwater table and ultimately possibly tainting the water supply? I mean, there's a couple different things there. Um, like I, I just, I, I think that bale grazing, the benefits far, far outweigh the negatives. And any, any, any winter feeding program is gonna have um, concerns about nutrient concentrations, no matter what. Is bale grazing worse than others? I don't know. Um, I, I, I know what I see, how the land responds to it. It's phenomenal. But yeah, 
it's a concern. Um, I don't know how we as bale grazers should, you know, answer that question or should we be doing more to understand why and maybe change our practices accordingly? Yeah, possibly. Steve, you want to chime in on that? Yeah, you bet. My, my biggest concern usually is not necessarily the bale grazing, but where, where we're watering. Okay, so if I'm going to set up a bale grazing site, I don't want it to be right close to a creek or right close to my dugout or anything where it's, I'm more concerned about my water quality. If it's out in the middle of a field by itself and there's some puddles that get, you know, filthy, I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't think there's, that's not an issue because that, the bale grazing has completely changed the ecosystem on the soil surface and that's going to fix itself, right? That whole, that whole system is going to get kickstarted into gear and we're going to get biology and water holding capacity and infiltration and all sorts of good stuff out of that. So I'm not concerned about where we're bale grazing at all. It's the watering site, my riparian area that's down, you know, downhill from it. Those are what I'm more concerned about. Uh, the worst contamination that I've ever seen, uh, I did it, it was a mistake. I didn't realize it at the time, was actually not on a bale grazing field. It was on a swath grazing field where I set the water site up, um, where the cattle came back for four months to the same water site, right? In the springtime, oh my goodness, we, we destroyed that dugout, right? The, it just everything ran right into that dugout. I just, I didn't set it up properly. And yeah, it was just a, it looked like a, a, a sewer pit. And uh, yeah, that was a mistake. I set the water up on the wrong side of the dugout. It was more convenient and I didn't think about it. This was years ago. Um, so that's something I really look for now is, okay, that watering site, because that's where the concentration of manure is going to end up in urine, where is it going to flow? That's my biggest concern. And honestly, on that particular year, we were doing a half section of uh, pea straw residue. Um, we would have been way better off to not give them water because they would have never had a concentration in one area. Right. They would have been licking snow all over the field. We could have, but because I was beside the highway, I knew the uh, SPCA was going to be calling and they did in January. They, they finally left a message on me and they said, we've had hundreds of phone calls about your operation. Um, we, we see that you're doing everything. We see the water, we see the extra feed, we, you know, we're okay with it. You're not in trouble. I just wanted to let you know that we, we've had hundreds of phone calls about it. So that's why I needed that water site there because I was right by the highway. Um, if I was anywhere else, boy, I would have been licking snow and I wouldn't have had that nutrient concentration. That's my biggest concern is the watering area. Cool. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Brett. Um, <clears throat> next question is from Matt Van Steele. And Matt, do you want to come off your vid on your video and off your mute? Hey, Dr. Matt. You're still on mute. You're muted, Dr. Matt. Sorry about that, guys. Hey. How are you doing tonight? Good. Oh, there we get to see your pretty face. <laughs> it's I got my COVID cut here. She's getting pretty rank. What's with that long hair, eh? I got a reverse, <laughs> I got a reverse COVID cut. <laughs> my question uh, for Aaron, how many acres can you cover with your pods in a year? usually and then once you've bale grazed that spot how long does the improvement stay for we cover about 40 acres every winter every pod's roughly about eight acres ish so it's it takes a long time to cover land 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, if you kind of think back to how long we've been bale grazing, 15 years, you know, 15 times 40, that's quite a few acres. So we're getting there. Um, as far as how long it lasts, I mean, I, there, we were driving through a pasture, uh, just moving some bulls the other day. And this is a spot where we bale grazed 15 years ago. And, and you can still see the difference. Um, so the, the effects are long lasting, but I, I think your management after bale grazing and in general, how you, um, how you plan graze and your rest and recovery really impacts how long that will last as well. So. Yeah. We did an experiment back in two, we uh, experiment back in 2005 and I kept track of all the data after for five years. And so basically with bale grazing, we can do a really quick uh, improvement to the land. And the big thing for me is water holder capacity. Right. You get the water, then you can get the biology, then you can get the, the residue and, and everything goes from there. But over those five years, we saw the first year was really good. And I think that's the the initial uh, nitrogen from the urine. Uh, and then after that, our, our water holding capacity and all the rest of the stuff starts to break down. We did drop slightly over the next four years. Not a whole bunch, though, like you could see it. But we had a comparison field side by side. And when I actually did the numbers, you could see that it was, they were slowly getting closer together. One was the bale grazing field was dropping a little bit in, in dollars per acre and the control was actually increasing, but that's due to our summer management, right? What I like to say there is my bale grazing gets it kickstarted right away quick. But as Aaron just said, we only cover a small amount of acres. We need to improve all of our land. So as I improved that other land, they kind of equalized. And my rule of thumb, I don't have documented, you know, peer-reviewed science on this, but after 10 years, my control was the same as my bale grazing because I increased the um, production on just by grazing management in the summer. And that bale grazing, we did it quick and then it dropped slightly. But then the other one was level with it at about 10 years. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's. Yeah. In terms of, you know, what, when do you see the biggest production peak in terms of the, you know, the fertility and water holding capacity for us, it's probably uh, years two to four after bale grazing is when you see that, that the, the peak production and you'll see it in the, in the color of the green as well, just the fertility. And then yeah. Just- we found similar. Uh, with our operation too i just think that's something important for people to hear that there is like it lasts a really long time it does at least at least 10 years if not longer because once you've built that up the advantage of bale grazing is you've built a system that now can make its own fertility right you get a the water holding capacity then you get the polyculture plants then you get the polyculture of soil organisms that bring in your own fertility after that and it just continues on. As long as you've got good summer grazing management, it should continue on forever. Right on. Thanks, guys. Awesome, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Um, all right. Over to uh, Cody Asoff. Um, you can turn your mute off and your video on. Hey, hey Cody. Cody. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for having me tonight. I got a question. I'm kind of new out of this bale grazing stuff, but I'm trying to um, compare it, I guess, with what I know with like amp grazing. And I know I've seen studies where, um, 
you know, when you go and you take, can you guys hear me all right? Or, yep. 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 Okay. Uh, when you go and you move cattle into a new paddock, um, you know, after it's been, let's just say 10 days and how their um, intake of the forage, you know, goes up to maybe six or 7% intake of their body weight. And then it'll, that it'll average back out, you know, the longer that they're out there, but that's why the more you manage, I guess, the grazing, the more consistently, you know, their intake is and the better that they perform, I guess, how does that work in the bale grazing? You know, is that, um, you know, that management of having seven days or 21 days, is that not as important, you know, in the winter time with these bale grazing or, um, you know, can you, can you take that, that longer period of grazing and have them kind of yo-yoing, you know, with their nutrient intake and also the quality? I would say the yo-yo is less, right? If you get, you know, five, seven or more days, the yo-yo is less because they all have lots of feed. I think Aaron already touched on that. Um, they always have feed in front of them. They don't, there's no competition. So they, they don't really pig out. They, they know they're getting more tomorrow. It's once they get on the system, it's not, a, it's not an issue. I don't think. Yeah. You agree, Aaron? Yeah, I do. And um, like a big thing is if you have really, really good feed, don't put it in your bale graze. You don't need super duper feed in your bale graze. <clears throat> um, like cows, cows, a maintenance cow that's dry, especially if she's made calving, doesn't need super quality hay. Keep it and feed it to your calves or, you know, a different classification of cattle. Um, if you give them too good a quality, it, it's, they don't need it for one. And secondly, they will eat more. Um, the guys that we buy hay from, we purposely tell them we're more interested in, um, in quantity of bales versus super quality. Like, so we tell them to delay cutting even a little bit. And so that's how we kind of manage them not getting too good a feed and eating too much. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Keeps the deer away from them too. That too. Yeah. But you know, they, they don't need it. Maybe some cows do. And maybe that's my genetics plug right now. No, but like <laughs> it, it's true though. Like you, you do need adapted genetics to thrive in a system like this, not only the type, but also it really helps if they've grown up. Like, you know, if you've got a, a female that's a yearling and she starts bale grazing, well, she's, you know, she's trained. Right. And then they all, they all know the drill. They're all used to it. I, some people say cows are smart. I don't think they are. They got a big head and a small brain and they're habitual and instinctual, you know, so they just do their thing. Thanks, Cody. Um, next question is from Lori Fraser Beck. Lori, are you online? You can come off mute. Hello, hello. Hello. It's Corey, sorry, Corey Beck. Yeah, no worries. Uh, can't turn my video on, but uh, Aaron hit the nail on the head with his last comment there. Uh, we bail grace for a lot of years and, and uh, uh, with the wrong genetics, you're trying to stick a square peg in a, in a round hole. And, and that's, a, that's a challenge, right? Uh, when, you, when you're dealing with those type of cows. The nice part about it is, is they sort themselves out real quick, right? So, uh, and you learn which genetics to keep and which genetics not to keep. So, uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, that being said, uh, my question goes more to Steve, uh, not knowing your operation as well, Aaron. And uh, Steve, do you ever look at stacking 
uh, your pigs uh, on the bale grazed area function, right? To uh, to spark that, or do you find that it's going to affect your uh, the water holding capacity that you're going after? Uh, I just kind of curious on that. I'm running some uh, hogs myself, so. Okay, I I have put some bales out in my pig paddock. I only have a, a you know one paddock of all my ranch that I run pigs on at a time, so they're not really I don't really move them around and I don't have them for the winter. I just graze pigs for the summer and then they go to their winter storage facility, uh, aka deep freeze. Um, so yes, they love rooting through those bales. Uh, they love digging around in them and and straightening it up. Um, there is a, a friend of mine that does that quite a bit. He will run his pigs on, uh, he, he will actually bale graze after the pigs. It's the other way around um, because he wants to fix the damage the pigs have done. So by putting all those bales out over top of that, it kind of levels everything out again and, and fixes any of the ruts that the pigs made. But boy, the pigs sure love digging through those bales. Uh, I mean, if you're worried about dead spots, you put pigs out there, they'll have them cleared up real quick. But uh, so, no, I don't yeah, have a lot was, of experience with that, but. Kind of, okay, no, I just thought I'd ask the question. We're running some pigs. We're shooting for that. Uh, we are going to look to ferro some. There seems to be a large market for uh, for those acreage owners wanting to raise two or three pigs. So we're looking to hit that piglet market in the uh, in the spring, right? That wiener pig market. So yep. appreciate your comments. Awesome. And everybody wants the wiener pigs in the spring. Nobody wants them in the fall. Prices, <laughs> prices are definitely affected that way. Thanks, Corey. Um, next person, next question is from Connor English. Connor, do you want to turn your video on? And Hey, guys. Um, I guess, Aaron, uh, question towards you. Um, so looking into the future with your bale grazing uh, practices that you've been doing for 15 years now, um, once you reach, like maybe this is 20 years down the road, um, will you guys be looking to, since you're increasing your forage production by so much, um, will you be looking to like solely um, be on a um, stockpiled grass grazing practice throughout the whole winter um, and obviously supplementing when you have to? Um, or do you think this is something that you'll probably carry on with um, for the future? Hard to say. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, it, it's all a balance of uh, resource as well. So if you want to do that, you need more acres or less cows as well. I mean, yes, the increase of production of grass will also help that as well, but you got to balance the other two. Um, I can see us going to possibly like from 120 days to 190 or, or to 100 to 90 to 100. So 20 to 30 days less on winter feed. I can, I can see that possibly. Um, I don't know if we'd go much more than that, to be honest. Um, the, the stockpile grazing, there, there is a, a lower nutritional plane there, and um, you would have to supplement through, the, you know, through rolling out some feed and or tubs. Um, and so if you're going to be doing that anyway, I don't know. Um, and we also use our bale grazing in a sense to almost build a little body condition score of our cattle during that period because in November when they're on stockpiled poor quality grass and in, and when the snow melts and in April when we're trying to make them graze instead of feeding them they're on a lower nutritional plane there so there's some give and take you know from their body condition so that you know they sacrifice a little bit in November we build it up during the grazing period 
and then right before they calf they're they have a little less but they can handle it because they've got some reserves on them if that makes sense yeah for sure the other thing to add to that connor is if we're going to bail graze like uh, i've used this number before i'm i'm pretty sure aaron's were similar when he said it uh, i can only cover maybe 35 acres in a winter okay i, I manage 3500 acres so that'll take me a hundred years to cover the whole thing. So I don't think I'm ever going to get to the point where, right, all my land is is completely healed by bale grazing. So it, it we cover a very small amount of our percentage of our land in a year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Connor. And uh, Steve, do you want to do a time check? It's ten after eight. Uh, ten after seven. Seven. My, ten after seven. So we're we're gonna carry on if anybody wants to you know bail we're we're kind of done um i'm gonna stick around for quite a while tonight uh if aaron wants to stick around he's more than welcome to or if you need to go aaron you definitely can um but officially we're kind of done for the night but uh this is a networking session so we have uh 119 people on here still so i don't want to open it up completely yet um, but we'll keep answering questions as long as uh, you guys are here. Um, I'm going to start going through questions. We're not going to possibly get to all the questions. I know that with that many people on here asking questions. Uh, I'm going to stick around and answer as many as I can through chat. Um, but we can keep going around a little bit longer. Aaron, you okay to go till maybe 730? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then after that, I'm going to switch to just... Uh, on chat, I'll try and answer questions, but you don't have to leave. This is a networking session. This is just like at a conference, right? The speakers are done. The question and answer is over. Now you get to sit around the table or go to the hallway or um, I think at what, 7.30, the bar usually opens, is not it? <laughs> bathrooms yeah, are in. Sure. Yeah, bathrooms are in the next room if you need to, I'm pretty sure. So um, yeah, stick around. Uh, don't run away. If you want to network with other people on here, that's great. So we'll keep going with questions, Dane, if you want to carry on. And then uh, 7.30, we may maybe shut her down. Okay, sounds great. Next question is from Tim Bo Bonder. Tim, do you have your, want to come on off of mute? Throw on your video. Good evening. Hi, Tim. Hey, it's Bonder, but nice try. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for taking my question. Yeah, there was a comment made. Um, about moving from bale grazing to swath grazing, depending on weather. And I'm just wondering if you ever worry about uh, the bugs in the cow's stomachs in their guts, you know, switching from different feeds. Um, yeah, or, you know, even feeding hay to going back to grass or anything like that. Is there ever a concern about um, the the gut health of the cow and the bug. I think there. that was, I think that was one of the comments I made. Um, when I'm swath grazing, my biggest concern is that I don't think a monoculture is a good diet for any animal. Okay. So normally, cause I'm, I don't own the, the land. I usually get it from a grain farmer. That's, you know, um, I'm buying their, either their salvaged crop or maybe they had a crop insurance claim. Um, that's what I'm getting. So I, I don't get to choose what I put into it. So normally it's basically a monoculture. In that case, uh, I've had some wrecks because of a monoculture. There's dietary imbalances, protein imbalances, mineral imbalances, something. So uh, 
I'm always feeding some hay anyway. Okay, so I'm always got a, every couple of, you know, twice a week at least, I take a, a bale of hay out there and unroll it to make sure they're getting that polyculture in their diet. So when I switch to the, you know, the bales on that cold week, because I've got some bales sitting over there, they, they're used to it. They already know what they're getting. It's not a drastic change um, because they already have some of that in their diet anyway. So no, it's not a major concern. If it was, yes, drastically changing feeds can cause issues with, uh, with uh, you know, bacteria in their in rumen for sure. Aaron? Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, Tim. Um, this qu next question is from Marshall. Marshall, do you want to come online? Come on, Marshall. Let's go. Okay, Marshall, when you're ready, you can hit unmute. He heard that I said the bar was open. <laughs> okay, Marshall, we might have to come back to you when you're ready. Um, next question kind of fits with the last one is from Jack. Jack, do you want to come off of mute? Um, maybe I'll just read Jack's question for him. Sure. Um, it's just about stomach function. So the difference between cows fed once daily or compared to cows with feed in front of them any all the time. Have you guys noticed anything or seen anything about that? I think we kind of already hit that one, didn't we, Aaron? Can you talk about that one? Uh, sort of, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it just makes sense that, um, yeah. you know, the, the cow's rumen is gonna be more stable if they're just feeding as on an as required basis versus once a day. And then, you know, the, the mental health part of cattle feeding as well. I mean, we've all seen the hay processor with the cattle chasing after it in a frenzy. I mean, it's not that I'm anti-processor, but you know, I, I think just from a cattle welfare and contentment standpoint, you can't beat having feed in front of them at all times. They just, they're just content and healthy. Yeah, like you, like you said before, Aaron, that competition, you take that competition away, they're, they're way more relaxed. And, and yeah, by the way, I am anti-processor. -pro I'll admit it. <laughs> I am too. I'm, I'm anti-iron, I'll be honest. There you go. Now the truth's coming out. Yep. Um, okay, uh, next one is from Samuel again. Samuel Turcotte, a question. Yep. Uh, sorry about that. Um, I was wondering, like, what's your thought on, like, sweat grazing and bell grazing? And what's your, um, what do you think is more economical as a operation to uh, do? Like, would you, is there any uh, thing that you ever uh, look at it or any uh, number that you ever look at it between both, uh, both uh, way to do uh, grazing? it's going to come down to the economics of the situation and the year, right? Every year is different. Every environment is different. Uh, to me, a gross margin analysis is your number one deciding factor because some years the bale grazing will work better. Some years the swath grazing will work better. Um, just, it all depends on the situation and, and the year. That's probably the best I can say with that. The one isn't better than the other. It depends on the, on the numbers. Aaron? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, just, just from our own operation standpoint, we don't have any 
annual cropping and we don't have the equipment for it. So yep. um, we, I mean, there is a possibility of seeking out a neighbor uh, in a swath grazing arrangement as well, but um, it's not something we've done to date. Yeah. Okay. And Next. Oh, go ahead. Uh, just, just for the improvement of, the, of your soil as well, is there any difference between sweat grazing or bell grazing? Well, for me, bale grazing uh, comes on my land. If I'm going swath grazing, all that nutrients is going on someone else's land. So if I have a choice, I definitely want to bale graze. Um, but if, you know, hay's expensive or I get the opportunity, I love working with the grain farmers. I don't get me wrong. Um, I've got a, a great uh, neighbor that we work with for many, many years. And that relationship is, is built up and, and I'm very happy to see him excited about, you know, moving into this more regenerative stuff. Um, but honestly, dollars and cents for my land, uh, I'd much prefer to bale graze at home, but um, it, both ways are good. I, I like doing both. So the question, um, next is Yvonne Churchill. Yvonne, are you still online? She was a few minutes ago. She messaged me. Okay. Um, her question is about, um, ba she's bale grazing replacement. Oh, there I am. Oh, go ahead, Yvonne. Oh, sorry. Uh, right. So this year we decided to bale graze our replacement heifers. We have some extremely poor land. It's hard pan and it's in the upper portion of our hay field. So I baled the field and then I just moved it up to the upper portion. And uh, we want lots of litter left because of uh, how much hard pan it is. Have you guys ever done heifers? And uh, what do you recommend? We're just starting them out there. They're still eating the second cut that came up. They're not into the bales yet. They're not wanting them right yet. But um, I'm just wondering what your thoughts on bale grazing heifers. I, th I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Um, if I want them to clean up they're not going to gain if i want them to gain they're not going to clean up right so for me to get a good cleanup on that i'm going to have to supplement so on let's say i did my five day graze period on my bales they're going to eat your your uh all the stockpiled stuff first you said you had some other uh, the, the grass growing underneath it then they're going to eat the bales on the last day or two they're not going to do very well right so that's the day where i take out a couple of you know, higher quality bales or even some, some pellets of some kind and give them a little bit of a supplement on that last day uh, to make them clean up. That way they, they keep their gains on. But if you're just going to stick to bale grazing, then you're either going to have too much waste or not enough gain. So do you gauge still 3% for a heifer uh, for poundage for hay? Or do you, do you give them a little more because they are going to need a little more because they're still growing. Sometimes that depends for me on my customer, right? Because I don't own the cows, so they get to have a say in this as well. And it depends on the quality of feed, right? If you've got a lower quality of feed and we're trying to feed heifers, well, I know right away, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put more waste out there. Uh, I Honestly, for me, I want the waste because I get all the water holding capacity and the, and the nutrients. But it, we've got to judge depending on the quality of feed and how those animals are going to do. So again, if I can supplement, then I can push them a little bit harder. Um, it depends on the quality though. Aaron, you got anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, well, our, our yearling heifers are with our cows, but it's a different setup with a longer duration. So 
again, they, they have all the feed they need and then yeah. they're in forage training basically. Um, we do like our younger weaned calves, like the, the calves that are just like seven, eight months old. Um, we, we winter them in separate contemporary groups, females and males, and we kind of do a modified bale graze with them. Um, we'll just kind of do three to three, three day feed increments, sometimes longer. Um, some bales will throw out, some will sort of scuff up a little bit just to break them up. And uh, we might unroll the odd one too, just, just to do that, just to give them a little easier chance at it. So we do it with younger stock, just maybe modified slightly. And um, it works well. We don't really necessarily go for the 3% body weight. We just give them whatever they, whatever they need. And they just eat what they, what they want. Okay, thank you. That's basically what we have. We have our weaning stock and then I put the yearlings in with them just to help break up the bales and stuff. Yeah, cool. that should work. Thank you. Thanks, Yvonne. Um, next question is from Ronnie uh, Hellmandaller. Uh, Ronnie, do you have your question ready? Yeah, that's pretty close. Uh, thanks for hosting this evening. Uh, just a little bit of discussion about water, you know, how close to the pods or your grazing area do you maintain water and how do you manage that uh, in the wintertime? And shout out to Clay and Working Cows for letting us know about this. <laughs> Sounds like that one's aimed at you, Aaron. Uh, so there are guys that, um, that don't provide water and just rely on snow. We've personally never done that. We're, we're fortunate that, and blessed that we have a lot of water sources. When we first started bale grazing, we utilized a place where it was kind of on a transitional hillside into a valley and there was lots of natural springs that just stayed open all winter. That was for the first five years. Um, in the last 10 plus years, we've been wintering on some higher ground and we have wells there. And so we've been using submersible pumps um, we use a solar system for a long time this year, we moved to hydro. Um, so they do have to walk to water. Um, the maximum distance they're walking is about a half mile this year in the past up to three quarters of a mile. And they, we use an insulated trough with drink tubes. So it's, uh, there's about six drink tubes and it's insulated and the thermal activity of the water replenishment with a larger herd like that just kind of keeps um, it from freezing. You will, if it's really cold and windy, you will in the morning have a nice layer there that you just break up with your hand or a stick and just, that's it. So it works quite well. And it's for, it's for it's submersible from a well. So it's on an overhead system uh, with a pill switch. So the pill switch cuts it in when the float is too low. And then the water turns on from the submersible, goes to an overhead and into the trough. And then when it shuts off, the water drains back into the trough and then back down the well. So there's no freezing points in your water supply line. And so that's, that's what we use. I, I think um, water is, pretty, is critical to overall health of the animals and the utilization of the feed in, in bale grazing. I really believe that you will get better utilization with water versus snow. Yeah, I've used a lot of different uh, water systems as well. I mean, I have uh, bale grazed cattle with uh, just snow. Um, they were experienced cows and the snow was good. Then the snow didn't get so good. And I remember one time I was basically uh, 
there was only snow left on the north side of the hills. So every morning when I went out there to check them, I would drive my uh, bale truck across that snow bank and it would kind of put my tire track out there and break it up. And you'd go over there and you'd, if you picked it up in your hand, it would be basically uh, looked like little balls of, of hail. And they would all go over there and line up and they would eat ice balls. And they weren't my cows. I was managing this for someone else who basically said that that's what his cows do every year. And they did fine. They were basically eating, eating little balls of hail for, for their water. Um, it was, that was pushing it. Uh, I wouldn't do that with cows that don't know what they're doing, but uh, most years, if I've got some nice fluffy snow, man, they don't even walk to water. Uh, other years, and, th and that's with dry cows. As soon as you have cow-calf pairs, a whole different story, um, they're milking. You want to get a little bit of that, you know, milk into those calves all, all winter long too. So yeah, definitely I have water then. Um, I've used a solar system out of a wet well with a motion sensor. Worked really well. I was very happy with it. I've used a, a generator with a continuous flow. So the water pumps up into the trough and, and just flows back out to the dugout. You can do that with a, if, a, if you've got 110 volt power, it's great to use it with a timer. That way it turns on and off every 15 or half an hour, whatever you want, want it to turn on and off. Uh, if you use it with a generator, basically I just start it once a day. That water pumps up to the trough and then it flows back out to the dugout. Um, I do have some links on my Facebook page. Um, uh, if you go to my wa water systems album in my photos, I've got lots of different examples and explanations and, and things about winter water systems. So that's probably the easiest way to explain it is, is go to the Go to my water systems album. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Ronnie. Um, next question is from Samuel Desjardins, and he doesn't have a mic, so I'll ask the question for him. Do you think it would be possible to bale graze sheep in an area where you'd get five to six feet of snow in between December to April? The snow won't melt until mid-May. Well, that you can, would... You can take that one, Steve. Okay. <laughs> uh, when I've done smaller animals, I used to have a herd of goats. Um, when I've fed smaller animals, uh, if you've got too big of bales, then they end up, you know, stomping on it and peeing on it and pooping on it and, you know, walking all over it. Um, I use smaller bales. I've bale grazed with uh, small square bales before. I'd put out a week's worth of small square bales with a small, you know, small animal herd and it worked the same. Now with five feet of snow, you know, a square bale is not going to do so well. Uh, we've got to take the idea. Don't, don't just assume bale grazing, grazing is going to work in every environment, you know, with every type of animal. Um, like I said earlier, you don't have to do it the whole, whole winter. You know, take the idea and adapt it to your situation. Have a plan B. If all of a sudden you got, you know, six feet of snow, well, you better have a plan B. I remember uh, quite a few years ago, I went out to New Brunswick and uh, did a bale grazing talk. And then the next year I came back and did a, another one. I think I did a school the next year. And uh, the guys out there told me that, yeah, we tried that bale grazing thing you did. And we spread out all these bales all over the field. And, and then we got eight feet of snow. And all winter we played a game. It was called find the bales in the field. Because <laughs> basically they had to go out and dig through it with their tractor and try and find these bales and, and bring them out. So yeah, it, it might not work in extreme conditions, right? Um, 
it is what it is. If you if you can bale graze for part of that winter, great. You're saving on your labor and equipment costs. If you've got six feet of snow, yeah, you're going to have to use some equipment probably. Maybe that's not the right environment to be uh, winter feeding in. Thanks, Steve. Um, Daniel, do you have a do you want to come on off of mute and ask your question? Yeah, so I was wondering about um, Belgrade on good land. If we, on our place, we see about uh, two to three times the amount of forage when we, when we bale graze. So my thought was putting it on good land so that, you know, for let's say we're getting just numbers, 3,000 um, pounds an acre, and we double that, we get 6,000 pounds on our good land. Whereas on our poor land, we get 2,000 pounds and then we get 4,000. So we actually get an additional thousand pounds of grass on our good land by bale grazing is is that a thought or is that just kind of crazy and just stick to doing it on your on your worst land every year i would say biggest bang for your buck is hit your worst land right if i can Im increase my worst land to get it up equivalent to where my good land is then that's a big jump but if i've already got really good land if i bale graze on it i'm going to get a a bit of an increase because if I've already got the water holding capacity, I've already got the nutrients available, right? I, bale grazing is not gonna, you know, uh, I was gonna say not double it. I like, I can increase the production 20 times on my poor land. So I'm gonna stick to my poorest land if possible because I get more bang for my buck. Aaron? Yeah. It, it I, seems, go ahead. Sorry, it seems like no matter where we bale graze, we kind of get two to three times their production on the poor land and on the good land. So in, in my mind, it I seem, seems like going on the good land is maybe I get better bang for my buck on, on the good land. Like our land isn't very good anywhere. We're kind of on, on shaley land. So that's maybe that's just my um, kind of where, where we're at anyway. So. I, I'd agree with what Steve said personally. We've never really tried to bale graze on our better land. Um, I, I, I agree with Steve. I think the incremental, the incremental gain will be less doing it on better land than on poorer land personally. Yeah. The big benefit is to me is the water holding capacity. If I can get that residue left on top and now I, you know, if you only get five inches of rainfall, well, you're going to use four and a half of it in the bale grazing. Whereas on a, you know, before you bale grazed or right beside the bale graze, you're only going to use an inch of that in the season. So yeah. to me, it's that water holding capacity. If I can improve that, that's where, that's my goal. Water holding and for us on our poor land, the organic matter is quite low. And through bale grazing, you really increase that. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Thanks guys. Thanks, Daniel. Um, we're coming up at just after 8.30 here, but I have one last really great question to ask you okay. guys. Okay, which sounds is, good. Which is thistle, all things thistle. That's the question. That was it? Just thistle? That's it. <laughs> I love it. So I get that question lots. Bale grazing. Um, bale grazing does not cause the thistle. Yes, it might bring in the seeds, um, but it's not a symptom of your winter management. Okay. Your thistle's growing the following year because of summer management, right? It might come up the first year. It's trying to heal something, trying to change something, but we can manage the 
I'm going to put it in quotation marks because I don't believe there's such a thing as a weed, but we can manage the weeds with our summer management. It doesn't matter where the weeds come from. If they come from the neighbor's field, if they came from the bale grazing, if it came from the oil field equipment that drove across your land. I know a lot of farmers like to complain about everything. Um, but it's the summer management that needs to manage with those weeds. It, it doesn't have anything to do with the bale grazing. That might be where the seeds came in, but they're growing, they're being prolific. It's your summer management that deals with that. That's my answer for that one. So, Steve? Aaron? Yeah. Sorry, just uh, before you finish that thought. So what what happened? And they they took those thistle right off. Uh, I'll just stop my video. There we go. So it, they took that thistle right off and we never had an issue. And it's on a paddock that we grazed about five years ago. And they came back like as blue as ever and five feet tall this year now that the goats are gone. And so I, I should say one of my, the question is what kind of stock density am I gonna to need to run to really get a handle on that, that Jurassic like thistle? Yeah, it's telling you something, right? It, it's gotta tell you that it's trying to heal that land. Sometimes it takes a couple of years to get through that healing process, but there's something changed there that um, what we need to do, I, I, I don't believe in training animals to eat the weeds. So that's what your goats were doing. They were just eating the weeds. Um, what we need to do is create a situation where the desired species outcompete the weeds. Okay, that's my goal in my management. So a good graze period, good rest period, good stock density, good animal impact, get that soil armor out there, all those concepts and nature should heal that on its own. Okay, it might take a few years, a drought, a, you know, a couple of droughts in there is gonna make it take a little longer. But again, it's your summer management that deals with that. Uh, it doesn't matter that, you know, your neighbor's hay came in with some thistle seed in it. Um, I would just increase my stock density and make sure you're following those concepts. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Like we see we thistles and other weeds come in, you know, the first, second and third year after, but really through proper management after that in our, in our, particular experience in land they disappear over time um, and they're a non-issue and even when they're there i mean they don't bother me they're bio their diversity um and your cattle will eat them and trample them in so the advantage of bale grazing is that it heals the land right it gets you your water it gets you your cover and then as long as you give it some good grazing management it should take off right i've never had an issue with with weeds in my bale grazing uh, they might show up for a year or two, but usually that's how I correct the problem, right? If I've got a bunch of weeds out there, you bale graze across it, within a year or two, they're gone, right? Your bale grazing fixes stuff. So I haven't had that issue. We found that with uh, pasture sage. You bale graze, pasture sage is gone. Never comes back. Yeah. Because what, what bale grazing does is gives the advantage to the desired species, right? We've, we've changed the conditions on the soil surface. We give it water. Okay. Now it has water holding capacity. So those plants all have water. We give it nutrients, right? So now there's no competition. Um, some of those weed species we talk about have big tap roots. They can reach down to get the water and the nutrients where maybe some of your grasses can't, but bale grazing gives the advantage to the desired spe species. 
and that's that's my goal and then with good grazing management it should just take over and be a beautiful pasture after that so okay i guess we need to shut her down sometime um thank you very much aaron uh appreciate all your knowledge uh i'm glad you could come um thanks to dana for hosting uh really appreciate it i i know i can't do this host and and speak at the same time so uh, that was a big big help and uh, thanks to grow for sponsoring and I'm going to stay on. We're going to leave this open. We're not closing this down. Uh, I'm going to stay on and go through and try and answer the rest of the questions we didn't get to. Because with what we had about 140 people on here at once. So um, uh, if anybody's willing to stick around, you're more than welcome to chat with other people. As we get fewer people, um, you're welcome to open up your video and open up your uh, mics. You can private chat to other people on here. Um, by all means, uh, uh, we're not kicking you out, but I'm going to have to get through all these other questions yet here tonight. So I'll be on, but I might not be paying full 100% attention now. So thanks, Aaron. What do you got closing remarks? Thanks for having me. I mean, uh, yeah, it's good conversation and um, there's always something to learn. So no, it's that was good. Thank you for having me. Yep. I would say to anybody, if you want to learn more, uh, Aaron's got a lot of videos and some really cool dr uh, drone footage on your what Twitter and Facebook accounts. Um, by all means, follow there. If you can uh, put the link to that in chat right now, uh, Aaron, that'd be great. People could just link to it. That'd be awesome. And uh, Greener Pastures Ranching, you can definitely go to us and there's lots of information on there. I only run a Facebook page. My wife does the Instagram and a little bit on Twitter, but um, the main one is Facebook for me. And the Gateway Research Organization, they've got a lot of great videos, YouTube, all sorts of stuff. So uh, thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks for uh, Young Agrarians and Dana for helping us out here. Definitely, uh, Dana, if you want to put in some contact information there too, by all means, go ahead. Um, thanks for everybody for coming and yeah, stick around and, uh, and do as much networking as you want. We'll, uh, we'll keep this open for a while. But thanks everyone.